KP, KPC, News, Information, Culture, KPCC, California Sensibility. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lair. And I'm Amy Choi, and we are the Mashup Americans. Today, we're talking to author, top chef host, cook, Indian American mashup, Padma Lakshmi, about her new memoir, Love, Loss, and What We Ate. Oh my God, what a book. It's so, what a book. <laughs> it's so mashy. Uh, it's so much about food and travel and language and love. There is a lot of good loving in this book. Oh my, it is so <laughs> juicy. Like, I was like, I learned all your secrets, Padma. <laughs> um, I, I think everybody who buys this book is going to learn some excellent secrets. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and she actually even shared her Bubamisa, and you know I love a Bubamisa. Um, also, Bubamisa is one of my favorite <laughs> words. I just like how it sounds. Can you please explain what Bubamisa means? Well, obviously. I'm going to say it again one more time. Bubamisa. Yeah, so Bubamisa is a Yiddish term for old wives' tale, you know, which is definitely not true, but maybe true enough to be scary. (laughs) (laughs) So Margaret Cho had a great one, which I think you might relate to, Amy. Oh, obviously. Korean fan death. Um, <laughs> if you have a fan on you at night while you're sleeping, you're probably going to die. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I mean, duh. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> what is yours? Mine is if you eat with a, a fork um, and the fork touches your teeth, all the enamel will come off and then your teeth will fall out. Well, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dramatic. <laughs> I like eat with just like my gums and like plastic <laughs> rubber. I eat with bit children's <laughs> spoons now. Um, <laughs> Um, so another friend of ours told us that if your shoe is turned the wrong way or upside down, something bad will happen to you. And that actually keeps her up at night. She has to get up and check which way her shoes are facing. Mm, there are <laughs> lots of things that keep me up at night, and I'm going to have to add that one onto my list. Um there's a lot of shoe stuff in Bubba Mesa world. Another friend told us, Taiwanese-American friend told us that you can't give a person shoes as a gift, otherwise they'll run away from you. Oh, so no. instead of giving them as a gift, you exchange $1. Really? So then it's not, mm-hmm. okay, so then you've bought it. And so technically mm-hmm. they're not, you're not going to run away. Okay. And also don't forget that in Danish culture, if you sing at the dinner table, you'll have brown babies. That is completely obvious. <laughs> Which apparently is a threat in Danish culture. So, <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, I think everybody's totally going to dig Padma's Bubba Misa. Totally. And now for our conversation with Padma Lakshmi, we had the best time. Enjoy. Padma, first of all, thank you so much for being here. This is super, super exciting for us. Um, what is your Bubba Misa? There's a story in the in the book about that my grandmother would tell us about minor birds and crows. And it is the following that you know, there were minor birds and there were crows, and their eggs look the same. And the minor bird who was mischievous and wanted to enjoy life would lay their eggs in the crow's nest, and then fly off and dupe the crows into um, incubating their eggs and sitting on them. And, you know, you wouldn't know which were minor chicks and crow chicks until they were born and they grew, and by that time it was too late. 
And so the crows would wind up caring for the minor bird's <laughs> offspring, and the minor birds would just, you know, fly around in the moonlight and sing in the trees. <laughs> and I always thought this was a metaphor for how my grandmother felt. All the, you know, all, all of us grandchildren were <laughs> left to be cared by her, and all the, you know, all her children and stepchildren were just like off in America or off, you know, on the ship or whatever. And she had to care for all these grandchildren that were her children. <laughs> One of our biggest goals at Mass. Up and maybe our most important is to help people feel less alone. And it can be really, really hard to navigate different cultures and feel like an outsider in both of them. But your memoir really captured that perfectly. And it also captured the unique joy that comes from being an outsider. So what what's the biggest benefit or joy from that outsider-y feeling? I think that I am who I am because I felt like an outsider. I think it makes you try harder. It makes you work harder, think harder. Because I straddled two cultures at once, it gave me a perspective that I wouldn't have had if I was just in one culture and had never experienced a whole nother way of raising children, eating, dressing, praying, speaking, not speaking, um, all of the bathing, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, the luxury of having a bath and a deep, a bathtub with bubbles and washcloths when, you know, in my grandmother's house, you know, it was like you took a, in India, we would say a balti bath or balti meaning bucket. And you would hear the hard splash on the, on the marble or the tile of the bathroom. And you always knew when your neighbors were taking a bath because, you know, also (laughs) I lived in South India and because it's so hot, we don't have a lot of textiles. We don't have a lot of rugs. And the couches tend to be wood and cane or rattan or whatever. So there wasn't a lot of soundproofing. And it was so hot and nobody had air conditioning. So we always left the windows <laughs> open. So there was a lack of privacy in general. But, um, you know, there all these differences made me appreciate what I had, made me appreciate what I didn't have at times. Um, and I think gave me a wider perspective on the world. And I think that's really the greatest blessing that you can have as an adult because it just makes you that much more informed. My daughter, you know, I wonder about how much of my culture is going to trickle down to her because she's growing up basically an American kid and, you know, she's only half Indian, right? Her other half is Caucasian and it's an American Jewish um, family on the other side. So that comes with its own culture and it's funny because that culture clash happens, you know, mm-hmm. and so I have to navigate that, too. You also said a line in the in the book, don't worry, Kana, you're brown on the inside, which we both found very yes. moving. And we want to know what brown yeah. on the inside means to you. She is such a good dancer, you know, <laughs> like I... <laughs> I used to say this to my ex-husband, Salman, which is that there are Indians who are white on the inside and Indians who are black on the inside. And I would say, Salman, you are an Indian who's really white on the inside, which is fine. Most of my family is. But, you know, me and other cousins of mine in my generation are actually black on the inside. And Krishna is so white on the outside. But, I mean, I worry about it, too, at the beach because I've never had to care for Caucasians. I'm terrified she's going to burn to a crisp because you know we don't we don't burn i mean i'm sure we i do put sunblock on because of the health thing but 
you know, I'm terrified that I'm she's going to pickle her. Like, or in the Amy sun, has like skin lobster. tips for you. Don't worry. She, oh, she covers those yeah. kids up like you cannot. Oh believe. no, they're wearing hats like out to <laughs> here. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is also like I hate the sun, and I never ever had. Um, the pleasure or desire to go and hang out on the beach and Krishna loves the beach and you know she and her dad build sandcastles and go fishing and collect shells and jump off the lifeguard um, stand all of which sounds horrible to me (laughs) because all that means is sand and wet and sun and you know because again I come from Asian culture and my grandmother wouldn't even let us go out between the hours of 11 and 4. She complained that the school would let us play outside. <laughs> Do you want to get darker? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you, you know, know what so... my grandmother told my mom when I was born? What? Is that she drank too much coffee when she was pregnant oh. because I came out so dark. But you're so fair. Well, you know. Compared, yeah. It's all relative, <laughs> I guess. Krishna will say, my mommy doesn't like the sun. You know, it's like this thing. <laughs> so, you know, she says, I only go to the beach with my dad. You know, like, it's so sad. Um, but, um, you know, like, I, I'm learning because I obviously I want to have fun with my kid at the beach. And, and now, you know, I do like the sun. You know, even when you see all those bathing suit pictures of me online, you have to know that they're always taken before 11 and or after 5. <laughs> they really are. Where, you know, as my, coming from my experience as a model, I know that that's the best light anyway. Right. Yes, <laughs> well, I that's love good that. to know yes. for lay people. Coming up, a story about basement Bhangra. Just imagine Padma Lakshmi dancing with a sea of brown kids at some underground scene in Soho. Oh, good one. And <laughs> on our next episode, Amy, you watched Master of None, right? Everybody watch Master of None, I hope. Everybody should watch Master of None. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I watched it. My parents watch it. You watch it. This is the best. It's so good. Um, I loved it. And we're going to talk to Alan Yang, the guy who created it with Aziz Ansari, and who was also one of the brains behind Parks and Recreation. I am so pumped. If you want to keep up with what's on our podcast and everyone else we're talking to and writing about, like us on Facebook, love us on Facebook. We're the Mashup Americans. Back to Padma. What dating advice did you get from your mom? Oh, Patty, just be yourself. <laughs> but wear a nice, sexy dress. <laughs> My mother always thinks I need to dress up. You know, when I go to her house, I'm like, okay, it's my mom. I don't have to wear makeup or heels. And, you know, I show up scrubbed clean. And she goes, we could have worn some lipstick at least. <laughs> you know, or, ayo, iprivandar kia. You know, you don't, you don't look very nice. You're supposed to be this big model. Oh, no. you, know, you come home in your sweats. I was going to take you to the neighbor's house because she's so excited. She doesn't even believe I'm your mother, but now I can't take you. <laughs> Like, thanks, Mom. Oh, Mom's mom, Mom. You're so great. I know. How has it, did it impact you, kind of modeling in different countries? Were you, how people saw you in Italy or Spain or France or the U.S. in different ways? Yeah. I almost didn't get representation um, as a model in the States, but then I did, you know, and... I didn't. I never worked that much. I have to be honest. I didn't work that much in America. I most of my work was in Paris and Milan. Um, it wasn't until I became well known for other reasons and started, you know, doing 
um, hosting or working or whatever that I started getting editorials in America. It was only because um, I came back and had a television mm. career. Yeah. But, you know, I still don't often see a brown woman on the cover of these major magazines unless they're Beyonce or Rihanna. Right. You know, that's also a, another phenomenon in fashion where it's hard now as a model in general to get on the cover of a magazine. You have to be a rock star or an Oscar winning. Yeah, celebrity in some form. And, and, well, and How, how and, do you talk to your daughter about beauty? Or how will you talk to Krishna about beauty? I mean, she's a beautiful child. And, mm-hmm. you know, something that I have a a baby baby girl now. She's only mm-hmm. 11 weeks. But, you know, I'm already thinking about people talk to her differently than they ever talked to my son. It's always, oh, she's so pretty. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, and like she looks very different from you. Very different. I mean, I think those babies that are products of, of mashups um, are the most beautiful. Mm. You know, I think... I'm biased, yeah, but of I course think I think so. We should all bonk each other's <laughs> cultures to death yes. and just make one super human race and look like we're all from Suriname or something. Yes. You know, I really think we should fuck the shit out of each other <laughs> and get rid of being able to tell who's Korean and who's Mexican <laughs> and who's Kenyan. In the book, you write about switching between Tamil and Hindi and English and Italian and sort of some Spanish. So what what is it like for you to learn things, switch between all of these different things and languages and as a public figure, someone who literally has to do that in front of a camera? Because you were also on an Italian show, weren't you? Yes, I actually got my start hosting on Italian television and live television at that <laughs> in Italian. So, you know, I, I have a ear for languages because I grew up being trilingual, you know, and I remember being three and four years old and speaking Hindi because we lived in the north in the capital of New Delhi and English because we all went to English medium school and Tamil because that was our native tongue. And most Indians do that. You know, not all Indians live in the ethnic province of where they're from. And so they have to function in English or Hindi because Hindi is the national language. And, and, and by the way, Hindi and Tamil are completely different languages. They're not like Italian and Spanish. Right. Yeah. I left Delhi when I was four, so my Hindi is really a child's Hindi. It's enough to get by. It's enough to haggle in the Janpat market in, in Delhi, and it's enough to say something to you know, my assistant Nidhi, who's Gujarati, but for instance speaks Hindi. So if I don't want anyone else to know, and her Hindi is questionable too. So, But between all our languages, we, you know, we kind of cobble sentences together. No, the secret language of the slash ish like the spanglish yeah. or the where rebecca speaks portuñol spanish portuguese yes i mean th- those are really important well you know the thing is this secret language isn't even that secret yeah. because a billion people speak my, it right, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly a billion yeah at least uh, 1.4 but you know like every member of my family speaks hindi Tamil, English, and then other members of my family speak Malayalam, which is the language of Kerala, because our family is actually Keralan or Tamilian Brahmins. We're ethnically Tamilians, but we live in the state of Kerala traditionally. That's where my grandfather's village is from. And I think being polyglot was sort of a requirement. And there are some things that are just better said yeah. in certain languages. We talk a lot about this um 
when we talk about guilt. I think a lot of mashups feel this guilt about language. Like, how do you pass this on to your kid? And um, what what language does your daughter respond in? Oh, she only responds in English. Yeah. She and a and a particular, you know, downtown New York. <laughs> sassy five-year-old English. <laughs> I love that. My daughter, I think, you know, doesn't really want to speak Tamil, but I think she does understand Tamil, and I try to speak Tamil to her as much as possible. But it's it's hard, you know. I, In spite of all the time I spent in, in India, I really didn't go to school in Tamil. Even in, in India, I went to St. Michael's Academy and we had one hour of Tamil and my Tamil speaking is really good, but I can't, I can barely read, you know. It's, it's so hard. Yeah. Does Krishna have um, a palate like yours? She has a great palate. You know, she eats a lot of uh, food that's spicier than most of her peers because we're Indian. Mm -hmm. She also will try a lot of things because she's grown up on the set of Top Chef. Um, and she's, you know, sit, sat on the knee of my director in the control room while she hears Tom and Gail and I right. wax poetic about sous vide this or <laughs> brulee that. And so she's, you know, picked that up. Also, her mother writes cookbooks and we're always in the kitchen and that's our major activity and, and point of connection. So she feels a great sense of accomplishment, which she should. And, and it's really, really fun. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, like, I think we have all had the experience growing up being the kid with the smelly lunch. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, someone yeah. coming well, to your Indian house. food. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and I, kimchi is no totally, slouch either. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> is that, like, people come over, and you're, like, in the sixth grade, and they're like, what is, is that? that? And yeah. now, look, everybody's eating kimchi. Amy, if you want to have <laughs> kimchi, I can make it for you. I would I would absolutely love that, because I actually don't know how to make <laughs> oh, it. Oh, no. But I'm, bad Korean. I know. I'm, I'm, my mom makes great kimchi. I can just and that's hers. the problem, is that, you know, also there is this hierarchy in the kitchen. So, you know, you, you didn't get to learn. I mean, that's why I don't do it that way. That's where I do deviate from. I mean, we were always hanging out in the kitchen. But, you know, in my grandmother's kitchen, there was a time and place where you were allowed to do things. And so there were so many women cooking that I really didn't learn to cook those Indian things much later mm -hmm. than my than my quick American, you know, Indianized American stuff that my mom made because she was a single mom. Well, where do you feel most at home? Is it in India? Is it in New York? Is it on a plane? <laughs> um, for a long time, it was on a plane. I, I think I feel most at home in New York City. Um, but I feel equally at home, maybe not in India, but in my grandmother's house in India. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really where I have no care. You know, that's a good part of going home to my grandmother's house, too. I was just there uh, twice this year. And... Um, when I go there, I don't, I don't do anything, and because of the time difference, I don't, you know, have to answer phone calls <laughs> or or emails. So it's great, you know. I like a child. I have no responsibilities. It's, you know, it's that feeling that you haven't really had forever and ever. At least I haven't. Well, you don't have a care in the world. You feel happy, go lucky, like a kid. You know, someone's gonna feed you. You know, there will be clothing. <laughs> and you don't really have anything to do except go to the temple or the beach or the vegetable market. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how it felt to be so far from your family um, during, you know, your teenage years. I think it was difficult. Um, 
I, you know, I even in my teenage years, like I remember I went home the summer before senior year, and I think that was really actually good for me um, to do that because it helped me rem- it, it helped me remember who I was right before I was preparing to go off for college. And so it gave me a new chance to reintroduce some of my own culture into my immediate identity. You know, I went through this really weird p- phase in my high school years where I changed my yes, name. Yes, we, we do want to talk about her. Let's talk about her. Angelique. Let's talk about Angelique. Because we had uh, fantasy names. So I mean, but the name is incredible. Oh, like, we, I wanted to be Sophia, it, uh, and Amy yes. wanted to be Alexandra, but we... Yeah, I did. I did. Well, Rebecca has an incredible because her middle name is actually Sophia, but you wanted a different. She wanted a different spelling. Oh, you well, wanted actually, the F? I am with an F. Yeah, I just wanted to. I thought oh, it was like were, really. Yeah, because I'm Salvadoran. My mom was like, "We we're with an F. This is who our people are." Um, but <laughs> I, I oh, she right. was like, "Yeah, I always wanted to be Sophia. I thought she was more glamorous than Rebecca. You know." I love Sophia. Well, I love Rebecca, too. I wanted to be Alexandra because my name is, my parents immigrated here in the 70s. I was born in the late 70s, and the uh, Carter was president. Yes. And his daughter, Amy, was like, you know, running around the White House. And my parents had just immigrated. My mom was a nurse, Mm -hmm. like yours. Right. And um, she says she was always so frustrated when patients came in, she couldn't spell or pronounce any of their names. So she gave me and my sister, Sandy, the two simplest, easiest names that she could think of. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people do that. Like, you know, I had friends in my class that did not look like Lynn's <laughs> or Lisa's. Or, I mean, I, like, it still happens to me. You know, I you see... look like you could be an Angelique. <laughs> Thank I you, I think. <laughs> but, I mean, I, it still happens to me where I meet somebody and I'm genuinely curious about them because I like them or whatever and I say what is you know what is your background they say well I'm from Pittsburgh and I say (laughs) okay where are your parents from and they're like oh well they're originally from Washington but my dad I'm like Tell me the truth here. Somebody is yeah, a rice eater. Totally. Because, you know, like you know it and I know it. So let's just like get it over with. But um truly one of our favorite moments of the book was you describing your true love Teddy mm-hmm. at basement Bangra. Oh. <laughs> I well, used to go to Basement yes. Bangra in he, New York I mean, all the time. So a shout out to DJ Rika and imagining him there. Yes, really sweet girlfriend. <laughs> I know. Well, like I say in the book, he stuck out like you would expect a 68-year-old white-haired man <laughs> to stick out. That's love. That is love. And he was great. You know, he... Well, can, first, can you set the scene? What? Tell everybody sure, who hasn't sure, been there. Sure. Okay, so Teddy um, Forsman was... A man that pa- had has passed away, but who you know was my boyfriend and was about as unlikely to be a partner on paper to me as you could imagine. I'm a bleeding heart liberal. He's a conservative. I'm a secular Hindu. He is a very devout Catholic who goes to church every week. I there weren't a lot of friends we had in common because of our age difference and our occupations. You know, he's a businessman and he, you know, ran companies like Gulfstream and, <laughs> and IMG and Citadel, you know. And, um, you know, I was a model who became an actress who be, had a cable cooking show. And um, so it was hard to find, you know, 
common ground but he was such a great sport and I would tag along to his things and he would tag along to mine and he was way more of a good sport about tagging along to mine and so we went to Basement Bhangra and for those of you who don't know what Basement Bhangra is it is a Desi hoedown it is an Indian (laughs) um, dance night which mixes hip hop music with Punjabi Bhangra music to great pleasurable effect and you cannot stand in the room without shaking your ass immediately did Teddy Forsman shake his ass I tried not to look (laughs) (laughs) Padma Lakshmi thank you so much thank you for having me I'm glad you you guys exist I'm we are so glad you exist (laughs) thank you (laughs) bye That was so fun. So fun. Padma Lakshmi's memoir is called Love, Laws, and What We Ate. Comes out this week. And remember, according to her mom, be yourself. Just also wear a sexy dress. Got it. Wear a sexy dress. And we are out. The Mashup Americans are me, Rebecca Lair. And me, Amy Choi. If you want Mashup news stories delivered to you each and every week, sign up for our newsletter at mashupamericans.com slash newsletter. Do it. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. We're also supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Popos. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Me, you